Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to What? That old queen, a candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age. So please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, their views are their own and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this program on. Now, let your ears be upstanding for the <coughs> old queen. Tell me it's Easter. Happy Easter. <laughs> I can't say what is on your t shirt because someone in the room might find it quite <laughs> triggering. <laughs> it's a trigger t shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's a Philip Normal t shirt, isn't it? It is a Philip Normal yeah. t shirt. And yeah. I've, just, I've just purchased one myself. Um, and I'm not really one for um, slogans on t shirts, but. I've always wanted a T-shirt that says "Busy Mum," and he's got one of those. So I'm waiting for it to arrive. Amazing! We did actually ask Philip Normal to come on the show, but he hasn't responded. Well, that so. doesn't mean to say that he won't. No, he's obviously quite busy with his La T-shirt campaign, oh, which yeah, is a HIV and AIDS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I want to give a bit of a shout out to a friend of ours, the Birches, who's doing 2,000 burpees during April for a bone cancer charity. Great. But do you do burpees yourself? <laughs> I burp. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't do burpees. <laughs> I usually do a circuit class um, online with some other people on a Friday, but they moved it to Thursday because it's Good Friday today. Mm. Tomorrow, sorry. And... Um, I was the only one in the Zoom room today. And so she said, well, you've been asking for a personal training session today. Let's just do it now instead. Oh, great. Yeah. And were burpees on the menu? No, they weren't. Yeah, it was all using my dumbbell weight. Okay. Mm. In here? Yeah. Can you not tell now that I've got all the body here? For <laughs> well, I did wonder. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> And what's it like finally having a personal trainer? Um, she has been my personal trainer in the past, actually, um, 
for my show Haunted Existence, I was desperate to learn how to do headstands. Um, right. But I wanted to do it while someone was else, else was in the room with me because it felt like a scary thing to do on your own. Yeah. Um, she, yeah, she helped me through that process um, and and did a lot of strengthening exercise, like, well, you need strong wrists to do a headstand. Right. Okay, so you've been working on your wrists, your, yeah. your wrist action. Yeah. I won't tell you how. <laughs> I think I've been working on mine most of lockdown. <laughs> but I do alternate hands, so, you know, so you get a balance of, mm. of wrist strength. Yeah, <laughs> you've got very strong wrists. You, you're that you can hardly that bracelet is very tight. Yeah, well, there's I've, I've double braceleted up because I've got a bit of a Wonder Woman fetish. Do you usually wear a bracelet? Yeah, always. Okay, always, always, always. You're um, a constant source of surprises. I know, right? I'm full of surprises. So Easter, I was quite curious just to see how queer Easter is. Yes, I'd be curious to know that. It, or, and is it queer at all? I mean, is it as camp as Christmas? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So we're going to delve, we're going to open up that cabinet of curiosities again mm. today and see how queer Easter is. Okay. But have you have you got anything else Easter themed for uh, us? Yeah, I have got my um, Easter holiday book, which is Things to Make and Do in the Easter Holidays. Um, it's a publication that um, I bought for 25p. Which is money well spent, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> totally. Um, and it features a picture of uh, some children painting some eggs on the cover. I guess it's from the late 70s, early 80s. It was originally priced at 30p in the time of its publication. So it's gone down by 5p. <laughs> so it's depreciated <laughs> <Yeah>. in value. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's got things like felt brooches, how to make a simple but attractive brooch. Um, mm. And it's got tidy boxes, bird masks. Um, but the one I was drawn to mm. was the macaroni bead, um, which is basically means threading um, strings of macaroni um, through thread and br- painting them bright colours, and it says it's like it's very simple. It's only two instructions, mm. um, but the headline is "Here's to make a gay Easter present for a mum or a sister, <laughs> <laughs> or a brother, or a father." <laughs> I mean, I reckon we can all wear some macaroni beads if we want to, right? Oh yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. Can you make a macaroni brooch? It doesn't go into that, but it's got felt brooches. Um, I don't like a felt brooch. And what I don't like, I'm sorry if I'm offending people, mm. but I don't like a woolen hat with a felt flower on the top. <gasps> oh, wow. It it really upsets me. <laughs> Why does it upset you? I don't know. I just want to rip that felt off and say, you know, you it's just a woolly hat. Don't pretend it's something else. <laughs> What if you put, like, an encrusted brooch on it? I don't like any... Like, I like to wear a woolly hat occasionally. I haven't got really the right head for a hat, but I would wear a woolly hat if needed. Mm. But I don't like it to be anything but a woolly hat. I feel like it's um, lying to us. Yeah. Don't hide the woolly hat. Well, actually, you've got a bit of a woolly hat on your teapot. I have, yeah. Which is Easter-themed. Have I told you about this teapot? cover cozy well, well you haven't told the listeners about this right. teapot cover so this teapot cozy was sent to me by my friend Anne Phil it's 
got a long-winded story, but it's made by someone that is shielding, and they knit these amazing... I think this one is styled as a marquee with Easter balls on the top, very brightly coloured. It's made by a shielding person, um, and they then take it to their front garden, and the bus driver picks it up and then takes it to someone's nephew, who then takes it to someone else who runs a cafe in Dorset and then that's where my friend Annie picked it up and she sent it to me amazing it's, it's almost like a smuggling <laughs> but she likes to go to all these kind of very countrified sort of like village fate type occasions where people show off their wares oh yeah and the last time she went to one she went on this display and there was a whole sort of scene of like all these kind of clone beardy men um, in sort of thongs, um, all knitted together, having a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. Yeah, she sent me photos, but she didn't send me the actual sculptural object. <laughs> if I can call it that. Well, it, it's interesting because it's got lots of eggs on the on the top, like knitted eggs, aren't they? Yeah. Are they meant to be eggs? I don't really know what it is. Yeah, it's just very, they're bobbly. It's just a lot of everything, isn't it? Mm. Okay, very gaudy. I like it. Um, and what I also like about your book is they're making egg decorated eggs. Mm. When I was in junior school, I got highly recommended in the decorated egg. I didn't win anything. I think I should have won. But well, actually, my mum did most of the work. But I was the brains behind it. I made a little alien with lots of little like candy balls all over it. Did you, is there any photo documentation of this? No, it was the 70s. No one took mm. any photos. <laughs> There's one in there that I really like as well, which is where you get a, a tray of soil and you plant cress. Oh, yeah. And then, it, and then you plant it um, and you can spell a word like, I think there's suggestions like Easter or happy or mm. various things like that. But I was going to do it um, with the word cunt. <laughs> <laughs> because I thought that might be something that actually people that I know would uh, like to receive as a gift. Yeah, they'd appreciate you know, that. <laughs> but I've left it too late, as usual. You know who would appreciate that? Probably Philip Normal. Yeah. <laughs> so come on the show. Uh, <laughs> anyway, should we, should we delve back into the Cabinet of Curiosities? As it's Easter, yeah. we might as well. You never know, there might be some old chocolate in there that we could eat. I hope so. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's delve into the cabinet of curiosities and see how queer Easter is. Yep. Watch out. Watch out for that box, Tommy. I never was tempted. <laughs> bit lethal in here. It's a health and safety nightmare. <laughs> health or safety, that's what I like. <laughs> One or the other. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like that in the Cabinet of Curiosities. So, we're in the Easter section. It's not that full, I hasten to add. <laughs> it's not as full as the Christmas section. So, um, you find anything? Well, I found this one item that you might be interested in. Oh, yeah. It's called Easter in Berlin. 
Oh. Mm. And apparently Easter in Berlin was founded in 1975. And it's the biggest leather and fetish event in Europe. It takes place in Berlin every year at Easter, March or February. And it's a meeting organised by members of the club, the BLF Berlin Leather and Fetish, which in the past has used the event to elect the title holder, German Mr. Leather, an Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday. Right. I didn't think they'd nominated Easter <laughs> Sunday. Um, each year, thousands of leather, rubber, sportswear, skin and uniform lovers from all around the world come together to join all different kinds of fetish events in Berlin. And the centre of the fetish event is at um, Nollenfeld. Nollendorfplatz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the classical gay area in the western part of Berlin. Do you think they're doing it on Zoom this year? Well, I don't know how much kink can happen on Zoom, really. Yeah. I mean, I've tried. <laughs> Lord knows we've all tried. Yeah. <laughs> I flashed my bum on a Zoom party <laughs> on more than one occasion. <laughs> but it doesn't go down well. No, <laughs> not during those meetings. <laughs> <laughs> So what have I got? So I I found some kind of churchy trinkets in the cabinet of curiosities, and this one is uh, it's a dog collar from Jim Matulski, the Reverend Jim Matulski, uh, and he says no week tells the story of his gay life as a gay man quite like Easter. The story begins with Palm Sunday, Jesus's jaunty entry into Jerusalem where people place their cloaks, tree branches, on his path to welcome him. Matulski says this feels like a gay pride parade, a public and political celebration beyond government control. Holy Week then invokes a broader and deeper arc of gay life. He says, from the violation of Jesus' due process and a last supper with outcasts like him, to betrayals by those closest to him, his crucifixion, then resurrection, a new life after coming out from his tomb. <laughs> I mean, I think these might be tenuous links. <laughs> and predominantly gay churches in America apparently embrace the unique theology that shows parishioners how the Bible reflects many of the struggles they face every day. Mm. On no day is it more true than today, Easter, the faith's most sacred day of the year. Easter evokes from us the experience of resurrection in our own bodies, in our own spirits, said Matulski, the pastor in the new community church in Berkeley. It's not just a retelling, it's an embodiment. What do you think about that? I was hypnotised by your hand movement. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I do that in the booth when I'm doing voiceovers all the time. There's, a lo there's actually a lot of movement that goes on in the body with voiceovers. It's not just the voice. <laughs> um, but I would say it felt a bit tenuous. I think it is a bit tenuous, but we were talking, uh, we were on Bristol 24-7 Queer Catch-Up and we talked about, you know, we've done a couple of programmes on spirituality. And I think it's interesting how queer LGBTQ plus people can actually find some solace in spiritual movements. And actually, those early Christians were really persecuted. Mm. So actually, they should have a lot of solidarity with us because 
<laughs> we've we've been the same, mainly due to Christians. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's brush over that. <laughs> but I'm glad that people are finding solace in it. I mean, there's some great stories, so you're bound to be able to read something into it that that you connect with. Yeah, totally. Have you got anything else? Well, it says Easter is partially about sex. Oh yeah. Um, so some people claim that Easter is uh, is named after Ishtar. Mm. It sounds similar. Uh, the uh, Assyrian. Assyrian. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've corrected me on that before. <laughs> the Assyrian and Babylon goddess of sex and fertility, whose symbols were bunnies and eggs, which is why I got you that little golden bunny. I know. Thank you. Um, uh, but that's true nevertheless the holiday was adapted from pagan holidays celebrating the start of spring and whose holidays often involve the acknowledgement of sex in fact this day is spring awakening often refers to the arousal of sexual desire in young people even same sex desire of course so there's been a definite change i mean it's been quite warm in the uk this week i know it's going to get a bit colder again next week but I'm actually really cold now. It's it's definitely cooler this mm. this evening. But do you find that the heat kind of Oh yes, I think lifts it up does. your libido? Yes, I think it does, yeah. Okay. I um, definitely think it does for me. <laughs> what do you, is there any science in that? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I should have researched that, shouldn't I? <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Uh, this other little trinket I've got is another churchy one. It's and it's a bit controversial. So we're, I'm going to do this a bit tongue-in-cheek, but lots of people think Jesus was pretty gay. The, you know, the, um, what are they called? The um, Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. They used to come round and they had this pamphlet and they had these, all these very striking images of Jesus mm. looking very hot indeed. And we used to say, can we, can we have the pictures of hot Jesus? <laughs> I mean, they've missed out on a whole marketing campaign, haven't they? You know, they could get... If they want extra flock, they should just market it to <laughs> to gay men, basically. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> while Easter officially observes the resurrection of Jesus, he himself was arguably gay. He was a notorious bachelor who spent his time hanging around with 12 dudes who literally loved and worshipped him. Judas even kissed him before he died. Jesus went a step further and told his disciples to leave their wives. He tells them, if you come to me, but will not leave your family, you cannot be my follower. You must love me more than your father, your mother, your children, your brothers and your sisters, even more than your own life. One queer Christian theologist even recently claimed that Jesus was pansexual and polyamorous. But I think that might be going a little bit too far. I mean, where's the proof in that? <laughs> you, did you miss out the bit about it? Oh, in Luke fourteen twenty six, yeah, yeah. Because but, I thought I I know so many Lukes and they're all gay. <laughs> What's that about? Do you think that? Do you think Luke is a gay name? Yep. Yeah, do you think he was gay? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is that why he wrote this down? <laughs> saying you had to leave your family <laughs> to follow Jesus. Uh, anyway, for those of you with deeply religious beliefs, we apologise if we've offended you. This is just a little trinket we found in the cabinet of curiosities. So, you, have you got anything else? Let, let's move to the Jewish 
faith now. Let's see who else we can offend. Well, I'm. <laughs> well, I actually had a beautiful moment um, because um, I'm part of a group called Assembly, and we meet every morning mm. at eight fifty, and um, and we have a little chit chat uh, as we're having our breakfast, and then at nine o'clock sharp, someone does a ten minute presentation. Um, about anything they want to. And it happens every day of the week. Right. Um, and it's happened, well, we just celebrated our year because it's been a year since lockdown. Yeah. Um, and someone did, a Jewish uh, friend of mine did a presentation about Passover. Oh. And it's just, uh, and she's done a few Jewish presentations before. And I just think it's such a beautiful religion. Mm. Uh, it feels very celebratory, very community based. Um, so it says here anyway the Jewish holiday of Passover also called Piesh. Yep. <laughs> often overlaps with Easter and celebrates God's liberation of the Jews from the Egyptian slavery. As such, uh, many LGBTQ plus identified Jews now recognise Passover as a continuation of their struggle from the social oppression and the stigma to freedom. And it was Moses that led that freedom for us. And I always liked Moses. Mm. You know, he looks a lovely guy. I like the way that he can navigate water. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. That's very did... camp as well, isn't it? It's like, out of my way. <laughs> and he looks a bit more like a trim Santa to me. Yeah. Well, they all did, didn't they? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I like to think that I look a bit like a trim Santa. Um, <laughs> anyway, I've got one, mas one more last trinket in the Easter section. So LGBTQ people have been making Easter more queer year after year. Even before LGBTQ affirming churches began to welcome us to Easter services, LGBTQ people increasingly queered the holiday with celebrations of their own. San Francisco, along with Berlin, obviously we've mentioned one in Berlin, holds an annual Hunky Jesus contest in Dolores <laughs> Park. Well, well, very apt, we've just been talking about that. <laughs> Often with a drag queen host, New Orleans holds an annual gay Easter parade, which often features LGBTQ folks wearing ridiculously large, wildly decorated hats. Oh, I love the... Do you know what? One of my favourite films is Easter Parade. Yes. Love it. Um, and Obama... With your Easter bonnet, with all the frills upon it, you'll be the smartest... Something in the Easter parade. parade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently President Obama, who was obviously very queer-friendly, um, invited a gay bishop and same-sex couples to the White House for an Easter egg hunt. And... Apparently, the site Queerty pointed out the films and fashions of Easter are bright and gay indeed. Well, you love all the colours of Easter, don't you? Mm. Love them, yeah. Easter bonnet, Easter parade is as campus and can Easter be. Easter egg hunt. I said to my neighbour, because my neighbour texted me and said, I've got an Easter bunny for you. You've got the other one. Mm. Um, and, she, and, and, and can I come down and give it to you? And I said, well, I'm in the middle of a Zoom meeting, but why don't you hide it? And then I could do an Easter hunt. And she said, I'm a bit worried about the rats. <laughs> the Easter rats. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a new thing that you could have, an Easter rat instead of an Easter bunny. Well, they're about the same size. Tommy, I have to say, I love your bunny outfit today as well. <laughs> it looks great. Those ears are amazing. 
Anyway, we have a fabulous guest waiting in the throne room. So we're going to have a little break now and we'll be back after this. Hi, this isn't a sponsorship ad because we don't have any and we don't have any adverts. But you can help us get some by sharing this episode on social media. Then we can get some adverts and some sponsorship and we'll be able to carry on with this queeniest of old queeniest of podcasts. Before then, if you can spare some cash, we have a Patreon account. So click on the link below and give us your dosh now. Thanks for listening. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Great. So we're back and we have a fabulous guest. But before we say that, uh, so we have a little break plea thing these days. And I just want to say that we've got a donation button on our website. So if you'd like, you can leave a one-off donation. So if you'd like to add to mine and Tommy's chocolate fund for the week, as it's Easter, you can click on that and uh, give whatever you like. Um, But we're back and we've got a fabulous guest. Tommy, would you like to introduce our guest? I'd love to introduce our guest. It's a great pleasure to introduce Natasha Broad. Natasha, how are you? Thank you. Yeah, really well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's absolute pleasure. We've been, I've been working with you little bits over the years, really, in different capacities. Yeah, for a while now. Can you tell us, like, who you are and what you do? 
Yeah, certainly. Um, so my name is Natasha. I use she and her pronouns. Um, and I do all sorts of different things, really, in Bristol. So um, I'm based in Bristol and have been for about five years now. Um, and I'm involved in lots of different things to do with LGBTQ plus communities. So I work within HIV awareness um, and health promotion, particularly. Um, so looking at testing and prevention of HIV and other STIs um, and looking at people having safer sex and you know good sexual health. Um, I work with LGBTQ plus young people um, and then I am also one of the Bristol City Fellows so that's a project which um, looks at involving LGBTQ plus people well my role is to involve LGBTQ plus people um, in some of the citywide decisions particularly in relation to the one city plan and planning for Bristol of the future. And what is the one city plan because it's it's, it's quite a unique one isn't it? It is, yeah. So the One City Plan, yeah, it is quite unique for Bristol. Um, and it's something that lots of other cities look to. And the idea of the One City Plan is that we are essentially planning for the next 30 years of Bristol. Um, and we are looking at lots and lots of different areas. So that might be transport, that might be the environment, that might be education. Um, and it's about working together um, and involving lots of different marginalised groups within society, ultimately, um, to plan for the future, plan for the future of Bristol and also to think about what we want Bristol to look like. So one of the big questions at the minute is, you know, what will Bristol look like in 2030? What will Bristol look like in 2050? And how can we plan for that? And what can we do now to start the ball rolling for those things? So it's quite strategic, um, but it is, yeah, really kind of forward thinking um, in terms of what we are going to be doing. So you said that you've been working in Bristol for, did you say five years or no? Five years, yeah. Five years. Where are you from? Because I detect a Bristol accent in your voice but maybe I'm completely wrong well well, I'm from Lincolnshire originally and then completely wrong (laughs) completely wrong wrong. but I would say I lived in Norfolk for 10 years and the Norfolk accent and the Bristol accent are quite similar so perhaps there's like an element of there might might be a little bit of a twang there yeah well I'm a voice artist and I I didn't spot it so Tommy you're you're picking up on stuff (laughs) can can we talk about the HIV stuff because we've done a couple of shows on HIV and um we we did one with John East which was um, getting tested week, I think, and yeah. and we were talking about it's a sin, which is brought... and we did one with us also with Dave David Stewart from um, the uh, was it fifty two Dean um, Street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. fifty six yeah. Dean Street. Yeah. yeah, I love David Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. He's gorgeous. Yeah, he was brilliant yeah. and so articulate. Um, I met him at an event and he was like oh let's take a selfie but he was like I'm going to take it from underneath and you have to like look nonchalant and stare into the distance and as soon as someone tells you to not look nonchalant like absolutely not it's the geekiest selfie ever but it's it's fun David Stewart's fun <laughs> no he was really good fun and really good um but I but I want to talk about it's a sin because it brought HIV awareness to the mainstream again and some people think it's more of a an issue of the past but it obviously isn't mm-hmm. so in terms of generational awareness of like the older generation of the LGBTQ plus community and the wider community with HIV and the younger generation what what do you think the differences are I think that's really interesting because I think, you know, I have quite a specific viewpoint, I think, because the young people that I work with are really interested and really invested in HIV awareness. Mm. But what we do know is that that isn't necessarily universal and people don't learn about HIV in schools. Um, You know, that education 
isn't there really because exactly as you've just said there you know people think that it's something that existed 20 or 30 years ago so the young people that I see have got a real appetite for it um I suppose what's quite interesting and the the differences could be if we look at the younger generations, their knowledge, or at least, you know, some some people's knowledge is far more, you know, we think about U equals U, we think about PrEP. Um, so, you know, pre-exposure prophylaxis stops a person from contracting HIV, U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable. And I think because that information is far more readily available, some younger people don't see HIV in the same way that older generations do, because obviously they had a very, very different experience of HIV. And that can also mean um, that we sometimes, and this isn't to generalise at all, but we sometimes see a bit of a difference around um, like attitudes towards PrEP, for example, where some people, um, older people might say that PrEP is really beneficial and has taken away some of the fear around HIV. But then there's also the flip side of that where people say, well, actually having a drug like PrEP available means that people might make decisions around their sex lives that they wouldn't have done otherwise. So there is like massive gaps in HIV awareness and knowledge but I think also a real appetite on all sides and um, particularly within LGBTQ plus communities to look at and explore what we can do about that. And I think also recognising that the story around HIV is still that we talk largely about white cisgender gay men. Um, and actually HIV has really changed in that sense as well in that, you know, if we look at the new diagnoses, diagnoses in men who have sex with men are falling and diagnoses in other groups are rising. Um, and so we need to change some of that narrative around how we think about and talk about HIV. That's really interesting. Yeah. So do you see groups that are being affected more by HIV? I've heard reports around like older people that are coming out of relationships that are going into kind of having more sort of different kinds of sexual relationships all the time is that something yeah a hundred percent so we're we're seeing a real rise in um new hiv diagnosis in older heterosexual people and if you think exactly as you've just said there tom like if people were um you know have been in long-term relationships and perhaps the knowledge that they were given around safer sex and around hiv um meant that it's something that they don't think is going to affect them it's not something they have to think about if you're a bit older and perhaps having sex and there isn't a risk of pregnancy for example mm. then things you know thinking around barrier methods thinking around ways of protecting yourself against stis might not be at the forefront of your mind and so yeah absolutely we're seeing a real rise and i think as well if you think about the way that we talk about older people and sexuality and there's a real assumption that older people don't have sex yeah. and i think that's less true in lgbtq plus communities but i think outside of that there's a real assumption that older people don't have sex and therefore safer sex messages don't need to be directed at them yeah we we had a we did a big piece on ageism in the last episode and uh, yeah i think yeah it there's so many stigmas with with growing older they think that older people don't do certain things but actually they do and yeah. and I personally know a lot of a lot of women that um, perhaps are middle aged. They've gone through their menopause, and because they don't have the risk of getting pregnant, they don't think about protection. And actually, the HIV stuff is is a real issue for that because it's just like you you're exposing yourself to that. A hundred percent, yeah. And if you were, you know, if you 
were in a long-term relationship or entering a long-term relationship in kind of late 80s, early 90s, then chances are what you heard about HIV was that it wasn't something that affected you. If you're a cisgender woman, it's not something that you would be thinking about in relation to yourself because that is was very much but is still the narrative that we hear around HIV. So, yeah, people just think, well, that's not something I have to worry about. Um, and, yeah, sexual health more generally, how often do people think about and talk about STIs it's so often just about risk of pregnancy and if there isn't a risk of pregnancy in the sex that you're having then people don't think about some of the other things and that's not like the fault of the individual that's the fault of the messaging that we that we put out and that we see over and over again yeah totally. what did you think about it's a sin uh, the show because i just like got so seduced by it and it was I, I found it such a captivating drama and the characters were brilliant but then after you know, thinking about it a, a bit, finding the, thinking about the female character and thinking about her being quite one-dimensional, really. <laughs> and 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 actually lots of people commenting on that on social media. And I wondered what, how you felt about that. Yeah, I think similarly, really, I loved it. Like I was really wrapped up in it and I, I loved it. But I also think what's really important is that we... Um, realise that it is a story about HIV, but it's not the story about HIV. Um, and it told a very particular, you know, it was a real snapshot in time, wasn't it? But equally, you know, HIV still exists. HIV has always existed in groups outside of those uh, queer men that are portrayed in It's a Sin. But I think if we reflect on um, some of the impact that it's had, so for example, in Testing Week, which you were talking about, so Testing Week got pushed back this year. It's normally in November, um, but because of COVID, it was in February this year. Um, and it was just after It's a Sin had aired. And THT saw four times as many HIV self-testing kits ordered during testing week as they have in any other testing week. So the it's a sin effect is really real. So mm. whilst it certainly wasn't like a perfect depiction, I think it did some really powerful things. What I really loved was, spoiler alert, I guess if people haven't seen it, but at the end when Richie's reflecting about how, like what a good time he had. And I thought that was really refreshing that he was like, I loved it. I had mm. such a wonderful time. But also if we think of the impact that that might then have around HIV prevention messages that's really important as well I just got tingles when you were talking about that because it just struck me about the kind of absolute connection between art or theatre or film or TV and and public health really it, it, like they feel they feel so connected in that moment yeah 100% it can entertain and inform and that that that's the whole thing i mean that's one of the things we try and do in this podcast so i'm going to go back to the intergenerational thing that you yeah. do because i was reading your article on bristol city fellows and something we're trying to do with this podcast is make it uh, make things accessible in an entertaining way and inform people in an entertaining way and we guested on the bristol 24/7 queer catch up recently and they mentioned uh, a lot about the lack of queer spaces and how do you think we can tackle this? And how, how can these spaces have a broad appeal for, for the different generations to use so that they can actually engage with each other? It's really tricky, isn't it? But I think Bristol's great in a lot of ways. But if we think about queer spaces, what we often think of is bars and nightclubs and places where you drink and you dance. Um, and actually, even if you do have loads of different people of you know different ages, different backgrounds there, there isn't that much opportunity for conversation or, or connection. Um, I think that Bristol is really lacking like a, a community space. And there are 
groups that exist but they're quite um fragmented in lots of ways and i know that there's lots of things happening right now which feel quite exciting around the potential of almost like a a queer community center but i think we what we always try and do with the youth group that i work with what we always try and do is encourage our young people to think of themselves as being part of something bigger so you know at 13 or 14 when you come and join a session you've got all these generations of people that have come before you and we can learn from them and they can learn from us and it's about you know tying into that and recognizing that we've all got different experiences of being queer we've all got different understandings of being queer and that all of that brings value and i think sometimes it can be really easy for you know it to feel quite divisive around like language for example um but just having the opportunity to have a conversation around some of that stuff um and to to understand what's come before like we recognize people use different words about themselves um but if you haven't lived that experience then you know it's really hard to understand maybe where some of that thought's coming from so what we really encourage is for people just to be super open-minded and recognize that there is you know we are a community ultimately and we're stronger together and it's when we're when we become divided um that things then become become trickier i guess and also i think that with the with the older generation is actually a lot of our experiences are actually very similar uh and and i think all of those generations need to remember that when we're talking (laughs) to each other about these different issues yeah and that's exactly what i'm what i'm planning to do over the well over the next few months um i want to set up some intergenerational conversations between lgbtq plus people and pick up on some of those threads of like what was your experience as you know a queer person in bristol 20 years ago 30 years ago and then how does that reflect and kind of is similar to what's happening now and also what were the differences because i think you know things have changed um but that doesn't mean ultimately we're all still fighting for equality right and what that equality looks like and how we're fighting for that looks different but what we are still doing like the groups and the focus might have changed but what we're all still doing is fighting to be recognized it's the beautiful thing that you just said and um i've just i'm halfway through reading uh, june sarpong's book called diversify um, okay. And I've 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 done quite a lot of reading around race, and 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 it's mostly about race actually. But mm-hmm. she starts really with talking about things that unite us, things that things that bring us together, rather than things that pull us apart. And and it feels very relevant to what we're talking about now. Yeah, certainly. And I think um, there's a really lovely quote and i don't know who it's by so i won't pretend that i do but like the idea that um queers everywhere are responsible for queers anywhere and i think that's really true you know what we again really try and encourage is things might be really great comparatively in bristol say or in the uk but what is happening elsewhere in the world and what can we do to support and platform and show solidarity um because it is the idea of you know we're all in it together and that might look different in different parts of the world um but yeah what what can we do to make ourselves stronger ultimately yeah it's really interesting because when i look at some of the stats for this podcast even we have been listened to like in practically every continent around the world which is amazing but in some countries where they have a really oppressive regime and it's it's not legal to be LGBTQ plus. So, and I just hope that we're showing some solidarity with those people, and that they know that there are 
there's other people out there in the world that are with them. Yeah, exa- exactly that. And like we did some work recently with an organization in Brazil. Um, and, you know, when we talk about and think about Brazil, we think about really poor LGBTQ plus rights. But what had happened and what this organization was a part of was around electing um, trans women into positions of power. Um, and they had won elections with like landslide victories. And that's incredible, right? Amazing. But, you know, I read a lot of queer news and I hadn't heard about that. So it's like, well, what, you know, what's going on elsewhere in the world and how can we make it so that those success stories get shared just as much as the negative stories, just as much as the horrible stuff, because we see that all the time. Yeah. Um, and what could we do exactly as you're saying there to be like, no, there, there are people out there. Yeah. And the pandemic, I feel like has taught us that we are just being controlled by what people want to tell us and so yeah we need to hear stories that are outside of like the way that we normally feed media into our lives yeah 100 percent. and you know queer identities lgbtq plus people like they deserve to be celebrated it's not about acceptance or tolerance it is about celebration and recognizing what what we bring to the world as individuals and as a community and i think that's ultimately what we're what we're striving for i think yeah totally Tommy, you you wanted to ask a question of uh, of Natasha. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, I I've always been a big fan of your hair. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. And um, one of my favourite podcasts is Fortunately, uh, which is um, basically geared at middle aged women. I think really, but I'm a big fan, and they always sort of sh- they they always kind of stop it with like sharing beauty tips or moisturiser tips, and your hair. I feel like you could do a shampoo advert if you weren't doing the work that you were doing. And I wondered, how did you get your hair so glossy and shiny? I mean, I would say, A, I'm quite lucky with my hair because this is my natural hair colour and stuff. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't dye it and that always helps. Um, but what do I do? I, I use a good shampoo and conditioner. I use frizzies and then I use an oil. And then the top trick is when you're if you blow dry your hair i blow dry it hot obviously but then the last couple of minutes do it cold and that like smooths the cuticle the follicles rather and apparently that helps with the glossiness but i don't know if that's actually a secret or if it's uh if it's really well known it but is it is so always massively glossy like i thought that it, I, when i first met you i thought it might be a wig really <laughs> interesting no it's not a wig normally what i get is the one, the one with the fringe, and people are like, oh, yeah, you know, that's Natasha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not the one with the wig. <laughs> no, no, not the one with the wig. That's, that's the first time I've had that, so I'll take it. <laughs> but it's a compliment. <laughs> How have you been coping with your hat, your beautiful hair over lockdown? I mean, I've had to cut my own fringe for the first. I've had my fringe since I was about fourteen. And I have had to cut it myself and I haven't done too bad a job, but if you look too closely, it's not great, but it's just, it's grown super long actually. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not been too bad. I've got quite a simple haircut, so it hasn't been awful, but I do have a haircut booked in for mid April that I'm very excited for. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think we're all excited for that. <laughs> Although I, I cut mine off last week in a Britney fashion. So <laughs> I actually, uh, Tommy, I think we had the same hairdresser for a period of time. Well, I've always had the same hairdresser. For 25 years emma i think I've, yeah emma yeah. i went to emma for a little while yeah well that is why because i've said to like uh, my friend mel like i worked with mel for years and i was like i've always liked your hair and she goes to emma as well 
That's it. Yeah. That's who your next guest needs but, to be. But also, but the, the, the amazing thing about Emma is that she trains George Northwood, who is who who is now the biggest celebrity hairdresser, who yeah. did um, Megan's hair for her wedding, and Alexa Chung is is his. Um, what do you call it when someone's the... Apprentice? No. Muse. 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 Okay. The muse, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just released their own um, their own product range, haven't they? Yes, I know. I, George I'm... Oliver, yeah. So, yeah. Tom, what you're actually saying is you love other people's hair because they've got the same hairdresser as you and it looks like yours. <laughs> so no, because he's... I don't think our hair looks it's, it's all similar, but I, I can see a nice haircut and well, I'm just an admirer. Just appreciating it. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, take it. Okay, right. So we're going to move on. We're going to do some Queens of Agony. So Natasha, you're going to stay in the throne room. I am, yes. And become an honorary member of the old queens. Yep. (laughs) Because you're in no way an old queen, as far as I can tell. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to do a big gong. And yeah, we have a couple of interesting questions this week. So, dear old queens, and Natasha, um, I'm in my mid-50s, and I've been single for over two years now. About a year ago, I met a guy in a sex club, and it was before lockdown. Our connection was mostly sex, and we made a little sex bubble over the first lockdown. As the year progressed, we started to go to places, pubs, and went cycling. I never really had a gay best mate, as I was with my partner for a very long time. And we were mates. Anyway, this guy started to have feelings for me. It became more than sex, but I didn't feel the same way. I love him as a good friend, and we speak several times a week and meet up for a walk or a cycle and have a few gins at least once a week. We have spoken about our relationship, and I've been honest and said it wouldn't work between us. I want my next relationship to be the one. My dilemma is, what do I do if I meet another guy and I really like him? I don't want my mate getting hurt. His friendship means a lot to me. I know his feelings for me and I don't want to hurt him. What do I do? I think it's really sweet. Um, Yeah, I think it feels really, really thoughtful, doesn't it? Yeah. I think that you could probably just lead the person into that journey with you. So maybe the first step would be to say... I'm looking for someone else, you know, or I'm looking to meet someone special and just baby steps, you know, take them on the way with them and they could, and 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 then you're sort of like, I was going to say letting them down gently, but I think he's already let him down. He's already, he's, he's said, already said that, it. but they are kind of continuing yeah, a friendship and, it, and a relationship. He doesn't say that whether they're still having sex or not, no, but I'm assuming that they are. Um, it's all it's gone all about the cycling right yeah it's all about the cycling and the gym <laughs> gin not the gym um uh, natasha what do you think well i think that it sounds like he's already had that conversation which is really great and i suppose for the person that's writing in if they have been clear about that then they are obviously you know entitled to be in a relationship or to meet someone new or whatever but i suppose 
perhaps it might also be about thinking what it is about the person that stops them from wanting a relationship with them and is it that they just want to be friends and then just maybe you know exploring that a little bit and being like well this these are the reasons that i think it won't work um and this is what i you know i still want to be friends with you i still want to maintain this friendship and this level of kind of connection yeah what do you think the reasons could be i what well, i don't know i was i was going to play devil's advocate mm. a bit here because I'm wondering why this person isn't someone that they could have a relationship. They're obviously attracted to them because they have sex. Mm -hmm. They like them as a friend. They enjoy spending time with them. And I'm wondering... Is it about the money? <laughs> Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. But I bet maybe that's a factor. I don't know. It, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, I think a lot of a relationship, like a long-term relationship, is friendship and that companionship and I think people get really hung up on getting finding the one. And we have, because like, we have all of these um, images in media and films bombarded at us that we, you know, there is that one special person out there for us. And that kind of myth, in a way, I think, makes us overlook people that are perfectly good for us to have a relationship with. But I'm just putting it out there. I think you've thought about this quite a lot, Bernie. <laughs> Just off the top of my head, do you? <laughs> I think, like, I agree with you, Bernie. I think long-term relationships are, you know, a friendship with other stuff added. And I think that, you know, the, the, the writer said, like, oh, you know, I've never had a gay best friend before. So, therefore, is it that actually you're scared of ruining the friendship if you take it into something different? And actually, would it ruin the friendship or would it be, like, just even better? Yeah, would it be a really good relationship? Yeah, exactly. Instead of a friendship. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't know. I think you're right. I think he's been up front with this guy. But also, I think he needs to think about what is this relationship and why don't I want to date him? And would he actually be a good person to date? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree. Because I think we're, we just overlook people sometimes. And also, there's there's a huge attitude these days, I think, where everybody's looking for something better. So actually, but they never actually find what they want. I think there's something for me about wanting to be with someone that aligns with your politics. Uh. And, and I can have sex with someone that doesn't align with my politics. And also I can be friends with someone that doesn't align with my politics. Mm. Because I think you can just sort of go, I'm going to go home now, or I'll just leave you to that. But to be in a relationship with someone that doesn't really align is quite difficult, I think. Mm. But can you overcome that? Can you overlook that? Well, you'd probably have to work that out between us that you never talk about anything other than I mean, <laughs> domestics. There are, you know, there are relationships in which that works, aren't there? But I think, yeah. like, yeah, I think for me, I think it would be it would feel like a really fundamental difference in maybe what we believed in and what we thought if we had different political views in that sense. But you, I'm, I don't know, I'm asking you now, you can be, can you be friends with people that you don't share the same politics with? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, I think you're, you're not sharing your life in the same way, are yeah, you? You yeah. can have a, you can have a kind of discussion and a conversation, but ultimately, like you say, you can leave them to it or you can just avoid those topics and maybe you can't do that in quite the same way. Mm. yeah in a relationship yeah i think in a relationship i would i want someone who who felt similar to me on certain issues but then you know opposites attract sometimes it yeah. makes the relationship lively because you're not 
Are you liking the same things? Mm. I don't know. Anyway, I hope this uh, listener sorts it out with, the, and they don't ruin their friendship. But you know, maybe think about maybe it could be something more than just a friendship. I think as well, though, just as a final point on that one, if it is genuinely that they're like, no, that's not it, then that's okay. Yeah, and then, totally. You know, it's all right for them to to feel that way as well, and it's not that sense of like, oh, well, someone likes you, so therefore. Um, oh yes, no, but but. yeah the reason why i've said it is because it's like there's obviously a lot of good things about this relationship so it's like there is sex there's companionship you enjoy each other's company cycling and gin (laughs) yeah it's like that sounds like my ideal relationship there is i think taking friendship to something else there's always a bit of fear right so um yeah if is it is it fear or is it something else yeah Yeah. i knew you'd be good at this uh point in the podcast natasha yeah you're way better than us anyway so (laughs) we normally give one word answers Um, (laughs) i know that's not true (laughs) right oh this is a complicated one okay there's like a little menage a trois going on in this one so dear old queens two of my friends are dating now and i have a massive crush on one of them how do i deal with this I recently found out that two of my best friends, a guy and a girl, are dating. They've been hiding it from me for a while, but now that I know, they are very comfortable touching each other and kissing each other in front of me. It's very awkward for me because I had a crush on the guy for a while now. He somewhat knows about this and keeps joking about having a threesome. I made it clear that it would fuck up our friendship, so I don't want to even think about that. I like both these people and want them to be in my life, but I'm struggling to adjust with their relationship. What can I do to make it easier for me? It's a tricky one. Yeah. Well, it's a bit, it's an unrequited love thing. And I think I've definitely had a lot of that in my life. Mm. I don't know about you, Tommy. What about you, Natasha? Have you had some unrequited love? A hundred percent. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. So what do we think? What can they do to make it easy on themselves? I would, if it was me, I would just, try and brave that storm really and just carry on because they're obviously friends and I mean the beauty about those kind of feelings of unrequited love in my experience is they do diminish after a while and you know you've got some nice friends there so just try to think that this is a moment in time that that will eventually dissolve yeah um, what do you think, Natasha? I think that I think crushes can be really fun, and if someone's got a crush on you know a person in their life, I think if you can um, kind of almost not to take that too seriously, that can be you know that can be really entertaining and fun. But I think also I would say it sounds like the friend perhaps isn't being that nice in this situation. Like if he knows that his friend is attracted to him and he's making jokes about it and stuff in front of his partner then maybe that's not the nicest way to be handling that. But maybe he does really want a threesome and mm. and maybe that would be... Maybe he doesn't sort of see that there's a, that there will be a problem about him suggesting that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe he's bisexual or, or wants to explore that. But obviously when somebody else's feelings are involved, it all gets a little bit complicated, doesn't it? I'm wondering that if this guy is getting hurt maybe he needs a little bit of space from this friendship in order to kind of process his feelings and process their relationship and also open up he's 
um, kind of friendship group so he can meet somebody else who he can actually fall in love with and have a relationship with. Do, do you know what I mean? I think it, it, it's maybe all a bit insular. It's, it's kind of... It may be, it's maybe got a little bit dysfunctional, so maybe a little bit of space. I'm not saying break friends with them, but maybe he needs to find some other friends so it, it will balance the, those feelings out and actually he can get some perspective on that. So the complete opposite of my advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we said, Tommy, opposites attract, right? <laughs> Do you think the, the person could have a conversation like with the friends? Because he said like... Um, I assume it's a he, actually, I don't know. Um, but said, you know, they're really comfortable, they touch each other in front of me and stuff like that. And if there's stuff like that that feels a bit weird, could it be that there's a conversation there of, like, this is cool, but I find it a bit strange, and can we, you know, make it so I feel like less of a third wheel? Without making the couple feel uncomfortable either, but just that sense of, like, hmm, putting some ground rules. Yeah, or, you know, if they are, if he's jokingly saying have a threesome, maybe they have a conversation about that. Yeah, and decide whether they all want to do it or not, because if that's if that's on the table, it's like I think the communication, as always, is key, and yeah. and maybe that's you know, all of this is obviously affecting their friendship, their relationships. So if they want to do that, maybe they do try it, but they put down some ground rules and make sure it doesn't really ultimately affect their friendships in the long run. I'll go with that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it seems more fun. <laughs> There's a threesome involved. <laughs> of course. Um, right, so this is another long one. And it is about opposites, I think. So, dear old queens, how important is sharing the same religious, and I guess we could say political beliefs, or lack of them, in a relationship? How much does it matter that your partner shares the same religious or political beliefs as you? I'm an atheist and I'm open to dating people with different beliefs. However, I've just had very bad luck with certain guys of certain religious beliefs. I had a terrible date yesterday and while there were definitely other problems with the date, the way he thought about things and expressed his religious views felt like an insurmountable lack of compatibility. He asked me about drag queens and I mentioned Trixie Mattel and Katia from Drag Race. He went on a huge rant about them being disrespectful that devolved into a rant about evolution and how it's stupid to believe in everything just happens by itself. I didn't engage with the topic because I knew things would get heated if I did. I started feeling like I just want to stick with atheists and agnostics. The way that atheists and religious people see the world and approach problems are just vastly different. I just feel both sides feel like they're stopping themselves from expressing themselves to avoid antagonising their partner and resentment will build over time. What do the old queens think? When you were reading that, Natasha was nodding when we were talking about Trixie and Natasha and Katia, sorry. Um, <laughs> is, is that something that I don't know about? Um, do, you, do you know what, Trixie Mattel? And yeah, yeah. Katia? But what have they commented about religion? And- but they're, but they're just really silly. I think a lot of their stuff is is just off the wall, off the cuff remarks. I don't, I'm not. I've not heard anything particularly from them, which is it's not trending on Twitter at the moment. I don't. Their, I don't think no, so. Okay. I, I, not that I, I would thought I must be missing out on something. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that this that this religious guy just thinks he's quite. They're quite silly. 
and superfluous superfluous i don't know oh, okay but um i don't know but what, what do you think natasha i'll go straight to you on this one i think that it's really tricky because i think Trixie. not to <laughs> Trixie, exactly <laughs> i think um like not to i think it's really important that the person doesn't generalize about people of faith or religious people in general but it does sound like they've had some pretty poor experiences so mm. maybe it's not about that person's religion but just about who that person is and again you know kind of what we were talking about earlier on like finding the things that you connect on rather than things that you don't connect on but it does feel like maybe there's some real fundamental differences just within those people that isn't really to do with religion but is maybe about the way that they express themselves or the way that they share their opinions yeah i think it's i think it's interesting because tommy and i are quite spiritual in some ways uh, not in a kind of religious way but in other ways and I think a lot of people around us kind of poo-poo that. And so I don't necessarily talk about that very much because I know that the people that I I care about don't particularly like to talk about those things or they don't believe in the same things that I do. So I never push any of that. Uh, And I think it's just about being aware of those things and who you can talk about that stuff to and who you can't really. And I get, I guess it is quite a big thing in a relationship. But if you, put, like you said, if you put in some of those ground rules, mm. maybe that's okay. You know, you just decide that you don't talk about that with that person. I mean, for me, it depends exactly. It depends kind of what it is, really. But what you know, we were talking about the uh, the Jewish religion, mm. and I just found that so the way that they were talking about uh, in their presentation about it. It just felt so, such so beautiful, and so so, uh, so much kind of sense of ritual around it that mm. I would love to be a friendly spectator on that. Really, and if I if it was something like that, I could enjoy but not be part of, then I would actually really value that. I think within a relationship, like I always love going out with someone that is um, from a different nationality because mm. I love hearing them speaking on their phone to their mum or, you know, or, you know, they're cooking up some beautiful dish that is t- traditional for them and it's 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 very different to me. So if you can enjoy the difference, then, then that's, yeah. that's a nice thing. Yeah, it's about respecting those differences mm. and appreciating them rather than being negative about them, isn't it? Mm. I think, you know, just because people don't have the same views as you doesn't mean that you need to put those views down mm. it just means you you know we agree to disagree mm. you know and it's how that person like expresses those beliefs isn't it so you yeah, know in totally. that in, in the letter that idea of like you know got got kind of quite um annoyed about those people and had like a bit of a rant um and i'm putting words in their mouth there but just that idea of like that not being like a um kind of a, a friendly nice conversation instead it being like this is what i think and actually i think agreeing with both of you like you can share perspectives and share differences and they can be really different but that can be really interesting but that doesn't feel like it was what was happening in that instance uh, what does my hairdresser always say to me just because you've got an opinion doesn't mean it's right <laughs> very true very wise words <laughs> <laughs> anyway hopefully that's that's given some perspective on that one we have a this is our final question so we have a, it's it's a bit more light-hearted i believe um 
There's a lot of them tonight. The, the, well, there's only four, but they were oh, big right. ones. They were yeah. like three massive ones. So, dear old Queens, now that everything is on the brink of opening up and open air sports are allowed to happen, and soon will be the gyms. So what recommendations do you have for bringing my A-gay fashion game to the gym when they do? Also, I'm thinking about bo- the body hair situation. Shave, scape, or bush? What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that's for the changing rooms and the shower? I don't <laughs> Well, I would, I, I, I'm interested in the gay fashion game because yeah. I've been doing a lot of running during lockdown and I quite like this look of sort of um, very tight lycra leggings, but with shorts over the top. And uh, I'm going to try that as a look next. Okay, yeah, yeah. a lot of people have, uh, and a lot of a lot of guys have adopted that mm. at the gym, uh, in the gym, and outside the gym. Mm. I mean, before you know, mm. gyms were closed. I don't know, Natasha. What, what's your uh, what's your gym fashion game like? I would say. It's not the best, but I would say <laughs> that, like, getting something that you feel all right in does make going to the gym more, you know, more enjoyable. So I think I used to be very much like massive baggy T-shirt. And actually, like, you don't, you know, you don't feel nice in that. So I think getting something that feels nice. But, you know, like, leisure wear is a real thing, isn't it? So there's going to be loads of cool stuff around. I suppose it just depends how much money you want to drop on it because it is pricey. Yeah. I think you can get some some nice stuff cheap though mm. if necessary um yeah what it's... do you wear to the gym sasha i wear i tend to wear gym leggings and a vest so super simple i'm afraid i'm not as stylish as Co- yeah, what, co- what, what colors are we talking about mm, quite a lot of purple or gray generally not massively patterned but with like with something you know like with a racing stripe or something oh, do yeah. you wear a lot of purple a reasonable amount of purple. What? My favourite colour is burgundy, so... Okay. I wondered if there is a connection between purple and sort of queers, generally. I think there definitely is a connection between purple and queers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you know what that is? I mean, so there's the the idea of lavender, certainly. Mm. And the purple as in, like, uh, you know, a mixture of pink and blue. Um, but have you got a different a different take? No, I don't know. That's I'm going. Oh, okay. I'm totally going off topic. But I okay. But I suddenly thought of it. It's really weird because I read something today when I was doing my research for the Cabinet of Curiosities earlier. Um, it was about flowers actually, and obviously it's spring, and apparently wearing carnations was like a secret message. Mm for being yeah. gay. The reincarnation as yeah. well. Yeah. And the then and lesbians thing. also had a uh, a flower code as well. Mm. It might have been lavender actually. Yeah, so there's a few. Uh, weirdly enough, we've just been doing some some chats about this in um in one of my groups, but um yeah, so lavender, green carnations, like as Tommy said that came from Oscar Wilde. Um what else is there? Pansies? Pansies are super queer too. And the Pansy um, Project was a beautiful project that happened where they planted pansies in in places of of homophobic attacks. Yeah. Is that uh, right? So there was beautiful yeah. pansies everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love a pansy. Um on, on the second one, um <laughs> to scape or to shave <laughs> or to bush. <laughs> I would say that do, that just depends on what you want to do. It's really. personal preference, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I would go 
What is a scape then? I'm probably more scaping than bush, but I wouldn't shave. I like to have a little bit of hair, but I wouldn't, but not loads. Yeah. I, t- I tidy it up. I think that the trend... But it's totally up to you. I the think. trend with, obviously, hairy gays, like I am one, is probably <laughs> just to be quite natural. Mm. But I remember in the 90s, like being hairy was not a thing, and I had to clipper everything. Clipper and shave everything in the 90s, mm. instead of being as natural and beautiful as I am now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a general thing. I mean, I, I don't know, Natasha, what do you think? Is it too much of a personal question to ask you? <laughs> no, not at all. I think, uh, yeah, like each to their own. I think there's yeah. been so many trends. And I think if you think back to kind of 10 years ago and Brazilians, um, you know, and I think we've really moved quite far away from that. Um, but I think you've got to do what makes you feel comfortable. And that's only you can decide that. Yeah, do what makes you feel good, whether it, yeah. whatever you want to, what makes you feel comfortable in the gym, wear what makes you feel comfortable. If you want to be super tight and trendy, do that. If you want to be baggy and comfortable, do that. Uh, and the same with your hair, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the yeah. same with everything. Yeah, the same with everything. Natasha, you do you. Yeah, you do you. <laughs> and me be me. natasha thank you so much for being in our throne room and joining us on the podcast you've been amazing today you've been brilliant thank you it's been a real pleasure thank you for inviting me and you've actually dished out some good advice for a change (laughs) (laughs) i mean compared to me and tommy (laughs) but yeah thank you so much and uh, yeah please good say goodbye to our lovely listeners I will. Yeah, no, it's been it's been absolute a joy to spend an evening uh, chatting with you both. So thank you very much. Um, and yeah, I'll speak to you all really soon. <laughs> thank you, Tommy. Say goodbye on this Easter Sunday. Oh, well, happy Easter, everyone. And I hope you get what you want. Yeah. Love egg or chocolate egg? Love, I think. Okay. <laughs> Love eggs all round. <laughs> thank you for listening. Natasha, thank you. Tommy, thank you. Happy Easter, everyone. And enjoy the chocolate and the roast or whatever you're doing. And we will see you next time on What That Old Queen. You have been listening to What That Old Queen, written and presented by Tom Marshman and Bernie Hodges. The show was produced by Bernie Hodges for Hodge Podcasting in 2021. If you have a question for the old queens, or you'd like to be a guest, or you want to sponsor a show and give us lots of money, you can email hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 